Welcome back to the Notaku Anime Chat, where I have to think of an intro every week, and this time I came up short. I'm joined, as always, by the one who promised to protect me from all the evil in the world, Guardian Enzo. Merha! And so today we'll get into a bunch of different topics, but before we get into any of that, Guardian Enzo, I'm going to copy you from last week and ask you how you're doing this week. Oh, I'm fine. You know, it's still ungodly hot and uh, humid and Japanese summer. But other than that, you know, uh, it's 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 kind of same old, same old. Go to work, come home, watch a little anime, read a little manga. Uh, and how about yourself? How are you hanging in there? Yeah, I hear you. This was a really intense week for me. Lots of work, lots of um, other personal stuff happening on the sidelines. So my anime watching was a little bare this week, but I'm happy to kind of hit the weekend and now I can catch up on everything. Okay, so what we're going to do next is actually uh, something new as of episode three. We got not only some listener questions this week, but some feedback as well. And Guardian Enzo, if you are okay with it, we will go into the feedback at the beginning of the episode, some corrections or just general comments so that we can address those before we get into the meat of anything else. Absolutely not okay with that. No, just kidding. It's perfectly fine. Jump right in. I sounds like a good idea to me. Okay. So the first one actually comes from Lost in America from a person named Blue Blue. Um, and he said, uh, he, well, first of all, he was very nice. Everybody should uh, copy this man and say things exactly like this. Compliment us first. Talk about how great we are. And then you can talk about um, what you like or didn't like or something like that. So he, he complimented us. He referenced our old sports podcast episode, which was really awesome to hear that he liked that. Um, and he asked us to, uh, with regards to the manga corner, which I think was fairly popular, um, Guardian Enzo, he asked us to potentially write the series that, uh, uh, the title of the series in the description. So I think we'll do that moving forward for sure. But uh, any comments on that? Yeah, just let's uh, retroactively in in the uh, you know in the description this week we'll put the French title for the one I mentioned last week. Uh, Blue Blue is French, and he did find it. But ironically, he had to he had to search the my French pronunciation was so bad that he had to search using the English title of Lonely Alien in order to to find the the French license of it. So, I knew my French pronunciation was going to be awful. So, yeah, we'll put the uh we'll put the actual French title in the uh in the notes for the video this week and going forward when we do anime manga recommendations, we will be sure to actually put the titles in the descriptions down below so you can read those out. Yeah, and we might even link to uh, a, a a manga updates or an anime list or something like that uh, as well. So thank you for that feedback. Um, and then John H., it seems like he sent you a direct message on Twitter? Uh, yes? Patreon. Patreon. Okay, mm. Patreon. He said, thanks for the great episode. I'm, I'm already liking this man as well. Yes. I really enjoy listening to your anime opinions. I'm learning a lot about the issues with the anime industry and also getting lots of intriguing anime recommendations. And so uh, after all of that, he talks about the fact that Sere no Moribito is actually getting a new Blu-ray release in the U.S. as well, Um, which, as he points out, is great because it's not streaming anywhere. So that was a a nice little note for us as well that, you know, it's also releasing in the U.S. 
Yeah, and let me just say, first of all, again, thanks to John for supporting me on Patreon. I really appreciate it and for the very nice comment and question. Um, always encourage people, if you feel like you're getting great info from us and learning about the industry, that's music to our ears. That That's an invitation to go out and find more opinions and get, get, get more perspective. So, you know, because we certainly aren't the be all and end all. We're just one take. Uh, but at the same time, I also want to say Sentai is... Uh, where I think our mutual friend, Jake, who is Jake Young, who is a translator uh, who works here in Japan, works for, uh, with Sentai. Uh, he did uh, the translation for Made in Abyss, in fact. Uh, and uh, just a shout out to Sentai and uh, for, for picking up Sereno Morabito. This is, I think, at least the third, maybe even the fourth or fifth different licensing it's gotten in the United States. But as long as someone is doing something with it, I consider that a positive. Uh, I always want to see it out there, especially as John said, it's not being streamed anywhere at the moment. So that's good. Yes, I have the old DVD box set. So for me, the Blu-ray is going to be awesome to have because uh, I actually have been getting trying to get my wife and my brother to watch that with me. So when I do that, I sh should watch it in higher quality than, you know, DVD. Yeah, I, I sorry, I just want to say on that topic, I have one of the old Blu-ray versions too. I don't even remember which one, but I got my sisters to watch this series. It's one of the few anime I've ever actually tried to get muggles to watch. Uh, and I've had a couple of sisters and a friend watch it and the, the reaction has all been very positive. It's a great anime to recommend to non-anime fans. And I know you're recommending it to family members who are anime fans, but my point would also be it's also a great rec anime to recommend to non-anime fans. Yes, I totally agree. Okay, so with that, um, we'll jump into the episode proper, and we'll always start with our first segment, which is... Time to get into what is definitely my favorite segment of the week, and that's what we're watching, obviously. So, uh, Guardian Enzo, I'll kick it over to you first. What have you been watching? Anything notable that changed since uh, last time we spoke? Yeah, there's actually a couple things. I want to call out a series that I have been watching but had not discussed, and I haven't been blogging it, which is um, Muhyo and Roji. Uh, which I watched. I did you watch the first season at all or read the manga on this? I did not, so you need to tell me about it for sure. Okay, yeah, it's it's uh, I blogged about half the first season. Uh, and this is an old Shonen Jump manga, it was never, it was never a big, a big success for them, but you know, it was one of those tweener titles and it was gone for a long time. And uh, the full title, by the way, is uh, Muhyo Toroji no Mahoritsu Sodan Jimusho, uh, Muhyo and Roji's Bureau of Supernatural Investigation. The, the manga had finished many years ago, and it was a bit of a mystery when they came out with an anime adaptation last year. It turned out it was because the mangaka was writing a new short sequel manga, which he did. Uh, the first season was pretty good. I, I didn't love it. I ended up dropping coverage of it because even when I was covering it, it wasn't getting much follow following on the website. Uh, and I normally don't take that into consideration, but when it's a series that's on the bubble, that can be a deciding factor. I'm more likely to keep following a show because a lot of people are following it than drop a show because not many, but in this case, it was just, it was on the fence. So, but the second season has so far been better than the first. It's been quite dark and the current arc is, is 
quite engaging to me. So that's one. Another one I've more or less officially picked up for the website is Apadai Ranman, and I don't think I've talked about that one yet. It's not a great show, but it's it's enjoyable, and it's gotten better, much like uh, Millionaire Detective has gotten better. Not as better as Millionaire Detective has gotten, which has really picked up in my view, but Apadai Ranman has definitely gotten watchable. It's focusing on the more interesting characters, which is Kosame, the the swordsman, and Hototo, the Native American boy, less on Apare, who's just kind of a pill. Uh, and it has a nice kind of Sergio Leone Western thing going on this week. So it, it's a fun show. And then the last one I want to talk about is a show that I, I've picked up after an absence of a, almost eight years, Hyoge Mono. Uh, which I, when it was, it may be the most uncommercial anime ever produced. It's a show about aesthetic, the pursuit of aesthetic perfection in the time of Oda Nobunaga and Hideyoshi. And it follows a real life, fictionalized version of a real life sort of second tier daimyo named Sasuke and who's a nut for the tea ceremony and for pottery and all kinds of things like that. He's a real aesthete. And I watched it as much as I could when it was originally airing, but this was 2012, 2013, which was a really busy time for anime compared to now, at least for me, there was much more good stuff. And it was, obviously it was not streamed. Nobody would have, no streamer would have touched this in English. And this fan subs, uh, maybe we could put a little asterisk and define fan subs for our listeners who may not be aware of that. But fan subs were a pretty big deal. And the fan subs for this would run quite late and sometimes weeks, sometimes. So it just got to the point with me where the effort of keeping up with it became a little much for me with all the rest of anime that was going on. But I always really liked this show. And uh, so the opportunity now, again, a very slow season uh, and a very slow year. I just decided what the heck it's it is fully sub subtitled now this is a good time to pick it up again so I've picked up Hyoge Mono I blogged episode 19 this week and I plan to follow through and finish the series this time uh, and I if, for those of you out there who are interested in historical anime set in the you know the Sengoku era but with a really interesting intellectual comic but also very dark and violent it's an interesting mix it's a superb cast about as, like I said, about as uncommercial as anime gets, one I highly recommend. So those those would be the shows I want to talk about this week. Or you talked about this week. Yes, I, I have not seen most of those. So I was actually curious about the Supernatural Detective Agency one. So mm. I'm glad that was good. Uh, me and my brother were tossing that one around as something we could watch together. Um, so I might take that one up and then the... The historical anime sounds amazing. I also probably missed it in 2013 with the Deluge stuff that was coming out in that time. Yeah, it was easy to miss because, as I said, it wasn't being streamed. And uh, even even the fan subs were running weeks and weeks late, typically. Uh, but it's all there now. If you want to seek it out, put on your detective hat and find it. <laughs> yep, yep. Um Okay, so for me, I didn't actually watch a lot of anime this week, which is kind of sad, but I did uh, want to talk about Yahari because I haven't talked about that uh, in terms of how the the final season has been going. And the final season actually didn't start off great. I actually like vehemently disliked the first three or so episodes, 
And um, a lot of it was probably because, you know, I don't think they ever expected to make a season three because it's been like, I don't know, five, six years since the first since the last season. But uh, now it's picking up steam and I think it's getting close to the end. So things are not only getting good, they're getting really good. Um, They're playing with expectations in clever ways and kind of using, uh, as the Japanese like to do, they're using clever, clever wordplay and twisting words around in ways that you don't kind of expect. So um, definitely, definitely that is going very well. Um, And I'm also following ReZero, but uh, ReZero is kind of still in setup mode. That that show is, uh, uh, it has a long way to go, obviously, in terms of episode length. So those are the only two I watched this week, but uh, mm. hoping this weekend I'll I'll get to watch a lot more stuff. There you go. I've heard some complaints from fans that Yahari has gotten a little soap opera, uh, just like one dramatic development to the next. But I, to me, that was always kind of what it was. So I don't I don't quite understand why that would be a matter for complaint. But uh, yeah, you know, you had mentioned it's been a long time and it has been a fairly long time since the second season. But I know that was a series that was always quite popular, sold very well, both as a light novel and on disc as as well. So if anything, for me, I think it's kind of surprising that it took as long as it did for a third season to come out. Uh, I'm sort of surprised it didn't happen sooner, which another another Sentai Filmworks show, by the way, I might add. Yes. Um, Yeah, I think uh, it was also... Uh, on the light novel author Watari Sensei, Watari Sensei to uh, finish it, so mm. th- that happened fairly recently, and I believe that was the the big holdup. But yeah, curious to see how it ends. I'll report back in a couple of weeks when it wraps up. I think. Okie doke. All right. With that, we'll move into our next segment. The anime. Okay, so now we get into what is probably our media segment each week, despite us intending to make it the shortest segment each week. Every week, I think, Guardian Enzo, you and I are discussing what we want to do for the show, and we're like, we got to get the new segment down to like four stories, four stories. And this is the third week so far that we've come up and we found things that are just, you know, there's enough to talk about where we, we got to talk about it. Yeah, it, it's true. Yeah. Uh, it, you know, it, it, news is important. This is uh, this is this is a service we provide. Is kind of how I look at it, of of more or less co- uh, you know collating all this, bringing it all together for our listeners to who may have missed any of these stories to get to get all this important information in one swell foop. So uh, you know, it's a work in progress, maybe ongoing. Uh, there may be weeks where there's less stuff. And this week I would call moderate in terms of news, I would say. Sure, sure. And I'm glad you mentioned service because we'll jump into actually the one of the stories that I was going to talk about later. But since you gave me a cool segue, um, we'll talk about Kiss Anime and Kiss Manga shutting down, which uh, for anybody who has been uh, on the Internet and been trying to find series that, you know, maybe not are available legally or you know maybe you are one of those um one piece pirate people <laughs> so basically what happened this week piracy anime manga sites kiss anime kiss manga shut down this is by crystal hodgkins over at anime news network um sites claim all files were taken down by copyright holders 
So I'll read through segments of this article, um, the, the relevant bits. But basically, a new copyright law was enacted in Japan. Japan's parliament enacted a proposed revised copyright law in June to expand the law to punish those who knowingly download illegally uploaded or pirated manga, magazines, and academic works. The revised law will go into effect on January 1st. The revision also bans leech sites that aggregate and provide hyperlinks to pirated media starting October 1st. So this happened. The bill got approved uh, on March 10th. And now there's a formal uh, punishment for downloads of illegal music, videos, everything. Um, and because of this, it seems that um, they, the KISS anime people, the KISS anime manga people, they got uh, pressured by copyright holders a lot more heavily. And they've been doing this for a while. But uh, it says here in the article... Uh, that a post on the KISS Community Discord channel, which claims to be run by community staff members and not site administrators, also stated, the sites are gone for good. Data deleted and cannot be recovered. So basically, these sites are gone. And I know KISS anime and KISS manga, whenever uh, uh, people like Crunchyroll or Funimation, whenever they talk about, you know, you can watch anime for free on those streaming services. Just watch them there as opposed to going to these sites. Cause one of the things about these sites are they definitely provide anime for free that you can watch or something like that. But then they also make money off of it, whether it's uh, offering like uh, a premium subscriber status, I think, uh, or just ads on the sites as well. So what are your thoughts, Guardian Enzo on this, this particular duo of websites going down? Well, Speaking as someone who has literally never used either Kiss Anime or Kiss Manga, I certainly won't call myself an expert. But one thing I do know that they also were known to provide is malware, uh, specifically to Kiss Manga and Kiss Anime. I know were kind of legendary for malware. Uh, you know, I don't, I don't have any connection with these websites. I know that that the legal standpoint of this Japanese government has been toying with various laws and various changes to laws over the last several years and in an attempt to, to rein in this, the piracy, it's always a work in progress on the legal side, on the legislative side, as far as kiss anime, kiss manga getting shut down. Again, I think even in the world of, of unlicensed manga, manga and anime acquisition, these guys were not, a particularly reputable source. And yes, as you said, they were making money off this. So the idea that they were doing some kind of altruistic service that they were providing people is just, is just bunk. So I should no tears for them. I mean, I never used them personally and never would have. I know, like I said, that they were legendary for being malware fountains. So good riddance is, is my view on it. If if this is how, and I will say that the one take on this I've seen in some places in the internet is it's easy for those of you in countries where streaming is, it's easy for those of you in countries where streaming is easy and accessible and affordable to piss all over people who use sites like Kiss Anime. But if you're in a country where that's not the case, there's more of a reason for people to look for alternatives. I'm not I'm not endorsing that view. I'm not denying that view. I'm just saying 
that that view is out there. And as someone who comes from a first world country where uh, where streaming legally is accessible and cheap and sometimes irritating, it's true, but accessible and cheap. I'm perhaps not the best person to comment on the the lot of people in those other countries where that's not the case. And that was the only kind of rebuttal I saw in the online community towards the dissolution of KISS. But above me on that, don't really have a whole lot to offer you. Yeah, I, I mean, I, I think your thoughts mirror mine a lot. I definitely also did, did not like these sites. I mean, what they do is they go into like Crunchyroll and Funimation and they literally just rip the the fan subs or not the fan subs, the official translations and the videos. So that is stealing in its purest form. I think where it's different from something like fan subs or even like sharing anime over like peer to peer and stuff like that is a, there's no money being exchanged there. So people aren't profiting off of stolen content, which I think is like, five times worse. I definitely have been in the situation where, you know, I was in a country for a while where anime uh, access legally was really hard. And so I had to definitely, you know, and, and for the longest time, some anime you just couldn't get without fan subs. And I think that's fine. If you're, uh, if you're accessing anime that just isn't available in your country, that I think is a gray area. Legally, I think it's still not okay, but I think it's a gray area, at least morally and ethically. But, you know, this there there's no excuse to be stealing content from somebody else, especially when animators are making so little money and the anime industry is, you know, the way it is, to then on top of that have another parasite uh, on on that already, like, shaky foundation stealing money from, you know, people that could. So, uh, and I think as we'll discuss later on in the show, I think the Japanese are slowly starting to become aware of how much of a missed opportunity it is to not, you know, provide anime to their big international audience. Um, we'll talk about that. So I think that's something that they're aware of as well. Yeah, that gray area is one that that's the most difficult part of this for me. And I think it's even more true for manga than it is for anime because there are many more manga that are translated by fans but not legally available than there are anime. It's in it's in this day and age, most anime are officially are officially translated and streamed legally, although there are still the odd stragglers that are not. And I'm not gonna sit here and lecture people who go out and and access anime that that isn't available any other way as you say it, legally it's not a gray area but morally and ethically it definitely is a gray area and i'm not the i'm not at the font of wisdom on this i i have no answers i'm merely saying that that's certainly the most difficult aspect of this for sure Yes, and and someday I think we definitely want to talk about fan subs and the history of anime and how they played a part in making it as popular as they did. Um, but we'll save that for another topic because that is something that will take a, a good chunk of time to discuss. Yes. But as I kind of alluded to, I want to go to the next story, which is about, uh, uh, about streaming and YouTube. So uh, this is over at Variety by Mark Schilling. And uh, the article reads, Japan Animation Leaders Unite for YouTube Initiative. Um, and this is an older news story. It came out on August 7th. 
but I found out about it a, a little while ago, and I was thinking, wow, we we should definitely talk about this, even though it's it's been a while. So this is this is toy animation Kodansha and other anime content providers have banded together to start a a channel on YouTube. The goal is to have thirty companies providing three thousand anime titles by twenty twenty two with the number of viewers per month reaching 300 million. Called Anime Log or Anilog, the channel was launched Friday, and this is on August 7th, so it's been a while, by Analyze Log, a company that supports corporate digital strategies. The target audience for the channel is currently local, but there are also plans to add subtitled content in English and Chinese for overseas fans. Content at launch includes the Blackjack series, uh, which aired in the 2000s, and Future Boy Conan, or a uh, Future Boy Conan, a 1978 anime co-directed by uh, Miyazaki from uh, Studio Ghibli uh, fame, um, and several uh, Japanese companies such as Ko, uh, Kadokawa and Toei Animation now operate their own anime channels on YouTube's. But the partners argue that by joining forces, they can grow their audience advertising revenues and more quickly uh, convert uh, people than they could individually. So the, the, the article goes on and stuff like that. And, but the, the big key thing here is that Japanese companies are banding together and they're not only thinking about offering anime for free on YouTube and going to kind of like a view slash uh, advertising revenue model, but they're thinking about the international audience as well. Guardian Enzo, what are your thoughts on all of this? Well, I think this particular move does have a substantial domestic element to it, but it's interesting because, you know, they tried to launch their own form of this called Daisuke. I don't know if you remember Daisuke, but uh, this was something Toei was involved in, and, and this was more of an idea of Japanese animation companies launching their own streaming service, free streaming, focusing initially on older animes as this one is. Uh, and it, it was a disaster for a number of reasons, one of them being that the, the, on the tech side, Daisuke was not very good. Um, Daisuke. But, you know, YouTube brings with it its own set of issues like censorship and, you know, as far as content. And uh, it's interesting. It'll be interesting to see how this goes over. I think they're going to run into some 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 compatibility issues working with YouTube as a platform, but uh, it it may end up being highly successful for them. It all really comes down to the Japanese anime industry trying to adapt to the post Blu-ray DVD world, and we've talked about this topic a little bit already. But this is this is the growing reality of anime is. Uh, physical media is less and less important both in Japan and externally than it used to be. And I don't see any reason to think that trend won't continue. And we know that Netflix is playing a part in this, but Netflix is still a very, very much a niche player in anime, probably by their own choice. They could just they could buy anime lock, stock and barrel if they wanted but Netflix is playing a niche role in this. This is anime trying to keep control of their own destiny, I think, anime producers. And, uh, you know, it's, it's anime has launched, the industry has tried several initiatives in the past like this, and they've tended to fail. 
And it's interesting that they're going now strictly with an, uh, with the biggest established video content provider in the world, YouTube. Maybe this is their way of saying we've been aiming too high. Let's 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 leave some of the heavy lifting to YouTube and and try to work in an existing platform with a built-in audience and see if we can make it stick this time. So it'll be very interesting to see whether it succeeds. Yes, and uh, and YouTube uh, specifically has also been kind of so there's two sides to YouTube there's the content creator like the the person in his basement or the person in his house doing like his own work and then there's also the bigger corporate companies the talk shows the stuff like that and that YouTube is courting those people a lot more openly uh, so I think with uh, these anime companies they're going to definitely get more traction if they go through official channels and stuff like that and it seems like they are so uh, i think this is good it'll be interesting to see if this takes off because if it does then i think it's not netflix and amazon that are the people that are in danger but it's definitely smaller services like Crunchyroll and funimation that uh, uh the these companies are a lot more unhappy with i think i was reading another article somewhere else and uh, one of the th- one of the things that led to this whole thing was the frustration with how much theft has been happening with uh, Funimation and Crunchyroll and some other services because when they I think it happened with Dragon Ball Z a couple of times where uh, some of the piracy sites they were able to rip out the episode from uh, Funimation and Crunchyroll's uh, websites and servers before they came out. And this became a huge deal for Japan uh, where they they started delaying things and there was this whole uh, hubbub. And obviously it's really hard to content protect on streaming because essentially if you're streaming somewhere, generally the video is actually like there for you to be able to rip out. So I think Netflix and Amazon and some of the bigger companies are the ones that create like sophisticated ways to block that. But Funimation and Crunchyroll, I think, are just not in a place where their video players can do that level of security. And that has been frustrating Japanese companies as well. So I think that's a huge motivating factor is their stuff is getting stolen. I, I think we saw with the piracy story as well that they're taking their losses a lot more seriously. Yep. Uh, and this is this is a good way to react to it, I think, is to provide a good service rather than, you know, just go after... Uh, the cheaper, easier alternatives. Yep, I totally agree with that. So speaking of streaming services, let's just go into this story really quickly. I don't want to spend too much time on it because, well, it's it's all online anyway, but uh, Crunchyroll's Virtual Expo is happening and they announced a bunch of guests for that. So I just wanted to quick give a shout out to that. Um, it'll be all online so you can, I, I think you still have to purchase tickets, which is a little odd to me, but... You can basically see all these people. There's there's a lot of anime directors, and and uh, most of them are from Crunchyroll's either Crunchyroll's own original series or just things that I think they were able to get. So people from God of High School and Noblesse and some of these other places are coming in, and they're going to be doing panels virtually. Uh, so you can uh, go and register on Crunchyroll for this expo thing from September fourth to sixth. And you can also go and look at all these guests 
I, I'm a little bit more interested in this. I don't know if I'll actually sign up for it, but I'm interested in this because it's focusing on Japanese creators and less so on like dub sub stuff that uh, dub people that we get in the West a lot more these days. Yeah, I, I, this is a, the, the growing trend in the age of coronavirus. Uh, I, I don't know if you noticed there was another story this week, Tokyo Comic-Con. They're doing their fifth event uh, online this year rather than rather than live. So uh, there will be a, there will be like some live streams from uh, from the original event hall in Chiba, Makuhari Messi. But basically, the event is is going online as well. So I think this is just a, a concession to reality in the in the age we live in that these massive gatherings of thousands of people in close quarters indoors may not be the best idea. Um, so I, I, I think a larger point, and we won't get into it in this segment, which is I don't think that's really uh, the purview of, our, of a short segment like this, but the future of, of, of in-person conventions, anime and otherwise, I think it's a very interesting topic because uh, we really don't know what the world is going to look like a year from now, two years from now, as regards to social distancing and coronavirus or whatever the next one is, uh, this may just be, this may be the new, this may be the new reality. Yeah, for sure. So, uh, yeah, the, the, it'll be interesting to see. I know there was a, a few cancellations as well. I think anime NYC got canceled. And so either, either conventions are getting canceled or they're, doing this and i think it'll be interesting to see if crunchyroll gets the same returns that they've gotten from their expo in the past yeah that's the 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 if the if you will a dropping an old reference here the sixty four thousand dollar question is uh will these places that are going to virtual conventions find the virtual convention financially viable so if not that's when you'll see more outright cancellations but if 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 they can at least break even on these virtual conventions. It's worth them for them to do it because they want to keep their fan base engaged for that time in the future when they are able to go in and go back to a live convention. It's better that they've kept this link to them through the virtual conventions than if they just cancel altogether and then come back to them two years later and say, hey, remember us? Right, right. And uh, I know that Crunchyroll has been trying to create this PR thing for a while, but for me... uh, I, I've always viewed this expo as kind of a light version of the bigger boys. So we'll, we'll see. We'll see. So moving on to the next story then. Um, and I'm going to bundle a couple of back-to-back like series announcements. The first one is Great Pretender, which you had mentioned. Uh, part one of it released in the U.S. this week. So I'm actually, that might be one of the series I watch this weekend if I have some time. Uh, but part two is coming September 21st onwards in Japan. So Netflix will stream the rest of the episodes uh, 15 to 23 in Japan uh, starting at on September 21st. And this was by Alex Mateo over at Anime News Network. Thoughts, Enzo, Guardian Enzo? Yeah, I, I love Great Pretender. I, it's, a, it's a strong, strong contender for my anime of anime of 2020 which admittedly is not as high a bar as it has been in some years in the past. Nevertheless, this is a really good show. If you enjoy genre Hollywood genre films and anime that, that riff on them like 91 days and Bacano great pretender is really smart. 
it's really, really on point in the way it references the Hollywood caper film. And it's, it's just a really good show. Again, it's a shame that Netflix chooses not to reflect the reality of the way anime is consumed by hardcore fans by making American fans or fans outside Japan wait basically two months to see this after it's premiered in Japan. Nevertheless, uh, it's out there now and you really, really should make time to watch this. It is a, it's a terrific show. It's not one I think that you have to like, oh, you have to watch five or six episodes. No, no, this is a, this is an arc driven, they're standalone arcs and they're really good right from, right from the first one. It, it, it's an excellent show. It, it hits the ground running. That said, there are three arcs in this 14 episode block that's dumping to uh, Netflix in, in the West. And they're all quite different from each other in terms of tone and content. So that's good. Even though they're all excellent, they're also all quite different from each other. And I'm really looking forward to September 21 and binging the rest of it. I, I don't binge stuff generally. I never have been a binge watcher, even on Netflix for stuff like Strangers, Stranger Things and the like. But so when the remaining nine episodes come out, I'll probably watch them over the course of maybe two to three weeks. And it's also easier when you're blogging to not binge and then leave yourself having to write posts on six or seven episodes. It's easier to, to, you know, to, to watch one or two episodes at a time and write about those. But I definitely will go through those last nine episodes pretty quickly and really looking forward to them. Awesome. I'll also report back once I, once I see the first half of the series. Okay. Another uh, anime announcement. This is for Higurashi, the Higurashi and Nakuno Koroni, Koronikai and all, and Ray. Um, so that franchise is getting a new series. It was actually supposed to come out uh, earlier this year, but it got delayed because of the coronavirus. So the new debut for that is going to be October 1st. So it's a fall series now. And then the final episode, which is episode 14, is going to debut on January 7th of next year. This is from Egan, Lu- Egan Liu. I, I hope I did that right. Egan Liu. Uh, new, uh, also on Anime News Network. Uh, so uh, no Rafael uh, Pineda this week. Rafael Antonio Pineda. But uh, Higurashi, uh, it's interesting that they're doing another series. I think Ray pretty conclusively ended the story. But uh, have you watched Higurashi Guardian Enzo? Do you like that franchise? Uh, yeah, let me first of all say, you know, Rafael, drop us a line. Let us know you're okay. Uh, that would be great. Uh, as far as Higurashi is concerned, I, I've watched everything Higurashi that exists. Uh, I'm not like a huge, huge fan of it. I didn't play the, the visual novel or anything, but I, I liked all the anime uh, and I did watch everything that's been made available. It's... It it there's a to me there's a pretty wide quality range in the first I don't even remember there's been a couple full series and several OVA series there's a lot of it and there's a pretty wide range between the best of it and the worst of it in my view although even at its worst it's it's still watchable uh, it's it's pretty silly but silly in a good way for the most part occasionally quite scary actually although more often to me it's it's too silly to be really scary and uh it it can be quite bleak too which is kind of nice because there's no plot armor in higurashi you feel really like anything could happen to anyone which which adds a certain element of danger to it as a viewer 
So I, you know, it's not a show that I like camp out and and say, oh my God, there's a new one coming. I, I have to watch it at 12.01 a.m. the second it airs, blah, blah, blah. I'm not like a devotee, but it, it also, I like it. And it, it has a lot of good memories for me because I've been watching it since my pre-blogging days. So it is definitely a show that, that has a certain deep-seated place in my anime fan DNA, if you will. So definitely interested in, in seeing what they do. Do you find the new character designs to be a little off-putting or at least a little surprising? They're quite different than what we had before, are they not? Yeah, I mean, they're they're close enough, I think, but they, they, there is a different art style there. For me, yeah, I'm the same as you. I watched all the anime. I'm glad you didn't play the doujin game because that's what it started off. It was a doujin game. Yeah. It was like literally a very, very crude. And, th- and then they remade it a bunch of times. But it's interesting that it came from that. Uh, this series, I always like the dissonance between how silly and comedic it can be and then how grotesque and dark it can go with kind of almost slasher film vibes at times. Yeah, it is interesting because thematically it it, it is super, super, it, I mean, it, it's incredibly Japanese, really. It, it's extremely Japanese. But there are some definite Western horror movie tropes and cliches that that play into it, too. So it, it's really, yeah, it, it's, it's very interesting. It's an interesting mix, you know, and it also comes from a studio, Passione, which is not, as far as I know, known for much else besides Higurashi. I mean, they've, they've done a few other things over the years, but... I don't think it's it's what I would call a big production house. It's mostly been one of those studios. I think they did high school D and D, if I'm not mistaken, which is not one of my favorite shows, but it was pretty popular. Uh, but yeah, mostly they're one of those shows you see listed way down in the credits list as production cooperation or something like that, or second key animation. It's not like they've done a lot of big time animation production where they were the main studio. But as far as I know, they've done, if not all, most of the Higurashi series. And they all, they've tended, I think, to look pretty good. There have been some wonky animation, some quality animation sequences over the various series that I remember. But for the most part, I remember them looking pretty good. Yeah, and it's, it's, it's got a simplistic art style. So, yeah, we'll report back on it when it comes out. Maybe at the end of the season, we can do a deeper discussion on it and compare it if we if it turns out to be good whenever a new sequel comes out i get a little scared but uh moving to our next story i saved the best for last guardian enzo <laughs> so uh this one written by oh no i look at some of these names and like i'm gonna butcher this Lindsay loveridge i hope i did that right Lindsay loveridge i think that's right norio sakurai's the dangers in my heart wins sugi no kuru web manga 2020 awards so um i won't go into the story too much i'll actually let you talk about it since you added this to the docket this week so take it away and tell me everything about the series what you think about this and then i'll chime in after that well you know you know if you listened to the podcast last week that i'm i'm in a huge nuts for manga mode at the moment and this is one of my absolute favorite manga Anime manga at this moment to me is in a boom phase for middle school, junior high school, romantic comedies. There's a ton of good ones out there and really charming, a nice mix of, of 
you know, very sweet and with a little bit of ecchi sometimes. I think stuff like uh, Kono Bijutsubu ni, uh, ni wa mondai ga aru and uh, stuff like that. And, um, you know, it, it's this one is by the author of Mitsudo Moe, which was a series that when the, when the anime came out, the first episode I watched it and I thought, oh my God, I hate this. This is terrible. And over the course of two seasons, although the second ended up being only eight episodes, I ended up really coming to enjoy Mitsudo Moe a lot. And that's, to me, this author is somebody, this mangaka is someone who you have to give the story a little bit of time because it's always, she goes deeper and smarter and more nuanced than you ever expect when you start out. And she does the same thing with Boku no Kokoro no Yabayatsu that she did with Mitsudo Moe, although it's not, it didn't, I like this series more out of the bat than I did with Mitsudo Moe. It wasn't a case of hating it. It was more just like, oh, this is kind of interesting. I kind of get the, 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 the joke here. And it ends up being something much, much more than you expect. Despite the fact that it's only on three volumes, it's a quite a young series. Uh, Boku Yaba, as, as they call it in Japan, has already been nominated for a manga taisho, uh, which is the most prestigious award in manga, which would be rare for, you know, a, rom- a rom-com don't get nominated for uh, the manga Taisho that often, or they aren't finalists that often, much less ones that have only been around for one or two volumes, which was the case at the time. So winning the Sugi Nikudum Web Manga Award, that's a pretty big award for for manga. And I, it's just, this series is racking up accolades despite being a very young series. And the, the, the idea is it, it's pitched as a dark story about this boy who has visions of, you know, murdering popular kids because he's at the bottom of the social hierarchy. But honestly, as it develops, I don't want to give too much away, but it, it's so much more. It's, it's a story with a tremendous amount of humor, a tremendous amount of warmth. Uh, the male lead and the female lead are incredibly incredibly lovable and very very realistic but not at all stock characters uh and it's like i say there's there's a whole there's a whole legion of good junior high school romantic comedy manga out there right now uh this is probably my favorite of that of that group unfortunately not yet licensed Probably because it is so young, uh, although again, there is an English official English title for it, The Dangers in My Heart, it, it will get licensed at some point, and I think it will very likely, knock on wood, get an, an anime at some point. It's quite popular. It's receiving, like I said, for a manga that's only on three volumes, the amount of critical and the critical praise it's received is 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 tremendous. And winning this award was a really nice feather in its cap. Just another, really, another in the string of accolades that this series is building up. Boku Yaba is what you'll usually see it referred to on in the internet. That's the shorthand for it. Boku no Kokoro no Yabayatsu. Just a great manga. Uh, I can't recommend it highly enough. And look forward, hopefully, to an anime maybe in 2021 sometime, or at least an announcement in 2021. That would be my hope. Awesome. Yeah, I'll wait for the anime, I think. Uh, And if it doesn't get an anime by next year, then maybe I'll jump into the manga. But uh, with that shadow secret, 
Guardian Enzo manga recommendation corner segment. <laughs> we'll move on to the next segment. Time for the section that everybody loves the most, um, our topic of the week. I hope you do anyway, because they the those discussions are at least last week's discussion was really fun. But uh, this week, what we're going to do is we're going to talk about something that Guardian, Enzo, and I love to death, which is the isekai phenomena. <laughs> okay. I was expecting him to provide a little <laughs> bit more resistance there. It'll come. <laughs> All right. So uh, what I want to talk about this week, Guardian Enzo, is actually the isekai phenomena. And like, take a holistic look at it. Look at its history, where I think it came from, because, you know, there's, there's, it's theories at this point, right? And what it was before, uh, very loosely, and then what it is now, and why it is what it is. So um, I'll jump into the first topic, which is what isekai is, and I'll just go over this. Isekai is generally like translated as another world in Japanese, but it refers to stories where, you know, a protagonist will accidentally either from dying or some kind of like accident will go to another world and there he will be a super overpowered person and have special abilities and then go about trying to save the world or something like that that's the general gist of it it's a very popular genre right now um and then i want to jump straight into the history of it a little bit there's this interesting thing i saw on wikipedia where they uh, suggested that it actually came for from the Urishima Taro folktale. Have you heard about this folktale, Guardian Enzo? At all? Oh yes, yes. It's it's hugely. It's it's one of the, it's like Cinderella or Goldilocks. It's one of the most popular folktales in in Japanese history. It, everyone in Japan knows about it. Yeah, and they reference it in anime and manga quite a bit as well. Uh, Urishima. Urashima Taro is something that, you know, can be a punchline. It's something like that. So as you said, it's very common to their culture and vernacular. Um, And for those who don't know, it's actually a story about a fisherman named Urashima Taro. And he saves a turtle. And because he saves that turtle, he is brought to this undersea kingdom. And over there, he has adventures and stuff like that. But by the time he comes back four or five days later, uh, 300 years have passed in his village. And so that's kind of the, the folktale in its very reduced form, I would say. Yeah. And if you want an interesting take on it, Hozuki no Reitetsu, the wonderful, wonderful Hozuki, uh, they do an interesting humorous take on on this as they do on most famous Japanese folktales. Right, right. So um, one thing that I think I want to talk about is some original series that I don't think we would necessarily fit the bill today, bill today but the original, I wanted us to both kind of talk about some of the original series that kind of popularized this idea. Uh, shows like Escaflone, Inuyasha, Fushiyugis, and obviously Spirited Away. Uh, what are your thoughts on these series? Do you think they fit the mold of Isekai? Um, or are they too different in some ways? Because they're largely credited all over the internet and in popular discussion as the original OG uh, series. Yeah, let me first say that I think I think to chalk up Roshi Mataro as the as the as the source of isekai is kind of one of those things that people trying to sound too smart will come up with as a theory in 2020 rather than being something that's actually true. So I, to me, that's 
that's a bit of a stretch. But I can see where they're coming from. I don't really buy into that myself. Uh, as far as isekai is concerned, I think it all comes down to how loosely you define isekai as a concept and as a genre. And I think that isekai in many ways is a microcosm of light novels themselves in that they the, what isekai is has changed a lot over the course of the last 20 years, much as what light novels have are has changed a lot. And it isn't whatever problems I have with isekai aren't so much with with it conceptually, which is the same as true with light novels. It's that they've become so dominant in the in the anime landscape now that they've crowded out uh, that they've crowded out other genres so so successfully that they're like almost an invasive species that gets into an ecosystem and the other native species ended up getting pushed to the fringes. And that's kind of what's happening in anime because of it's happening in light novels because of isekai and it's happening in anime because of light novel adaptations. So uh, as far as those original shows are concerned, Spirited Away certainly qualifies, I think in a broad sense as, as an isekai, it, it certainly, it, 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 it definitely, Chihiro definitely goes through that experience so sure, and it is one of the best examples. In fact, I I, I considered citing that as a, as a good example, but you already kind of beat me to the punch. Inuyasha, uh, yeah, I, mm, to me, and yeah, you do see it as you said on every list of isekai. Uh, it's 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 there. It's other things too, though. There's no kind of to me. There's no kind of it doesn't fit the standard modern definition of isekai. It's a different sort of premise. And uh, Arata Kangatari is another one I would say is like Inuyasha. That's, I don't know if people are familiar with that one. It actually did get an anime adaptation for one season. Uh, it's kind of the same as Inuyasha in that sense. I think it's less an isekai than some of the other ones we mentioned because it, it it's a different it's it's this idea of going back and forth and it, it, there's a different sort of structural integrity to it. Uh, but I like Inuyasha. I love Spirited Away. Uh, Inuyasha is an important, and we talked about it a little bit in the context of the sequel that's coming out. It, it's an important series for me as an anime fan, even though I have some issues with it. But my issues are not related to the fact that it's an isekai. They're more related to the adaptation choices. Uh, Esclafon and, and Fushigi Yugi, a very important series in anime history, not among my absolute favorites, but, you know, compared to most modern isekai adaptations, quite good. Uh, I think, again, the problem is as isekai has become a narrower and narrower kind of a thing or as the years have passed, too many of the newer ones just look too much alike. That's the problem. And at least with stuff when the era of Fushigi Yugi and Escaphone, uh, there was a much more broad thematic sense to these sorts of shows than exist today. And that I think to me is a big part of the problem. Yeah. I think you're correct in how diverse they were. Like Escaflone is a, is a Mecca slash a, almost a shojo series in some ways. Uh, Fushi Yugi is a reverse harem in some ways. I think uh, spirited away is obviously a, a Ghibli movie and a, a, a kind of almost Disney esque uh, Alice in Wonderland, and then Inuyasha is your almost shonen esque. It's it's shonen, but it's obviously from the perspective of uh, uh, a high school girl. 
So they're very different series. But I wanted to mention those series particularly for people who maybe haven't gone back and seen those series. I think if if you've enjoyed the concept of an alternate dimension, then all of these series provide, I think, a, a nice twist on the idea that may seem fresh in today's more barren landscape in some ways. And I also think you can't, not mention 12 kingdoms when you're on that subject too, which is, which is if you want to use the, if you're going to use a definition of Isekai that includes Escaflone and Fushigi Yugi and Inuyasha, I think you have to include 12 kingdoms as well. And that's certainly an important series in, in anime history too. I haven't seen that one. Have you seen that one? Is it good? Should I go back and watch it? It's very long. Um, but exactly. yes, but yes, it's certainly, it's certainly good and certainly worth watching if you have the time, I would say for sure. Okay. Okay. So yeah, those are some good series to kind of look at the roots of where I think, um, this idea of Isekai may have come from, and obviously it got reduced and reductive and very generic as it is today. Um, but, uh, that kind of goes into the next thing that I kind of want to talk about. Uh, why do you think isekai got so popular? I know it's 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 a different issue that it's you know it's very pervasive and it's it's uh, very much in both light novels and I would say in manga and anime as well. Maybe um, manga is just more j- diverse in terms of ideas, but there there are isekai manga as well. Sure, but manga is as you say, manga is manga is the Pacific Ocean. It takes a lot. Yep. You know, there's yep, no yep. Mu- and there's always been isekai manga, uh, and that's fine. But manga can take it. Manga has enough. Manga has a robust genetic genetic uh, genetic pool. You know, it, it's huge, and so it can take all kinds of invasive. And it's not invasive in manga. It's always been there. It didn't start with light novels. Let's be clear. Yes, yes, uh, I it, agree. It started. If you want to say it started with Urashima Taro, that's great. It existed in old movies as well. But it certainly was in manga before it was ever in light novels. Yes. But but getting back to the, the core idea here, why do you think it was popular? What are your theories for why it became so popular and why it dominates right now? The, just the idea. I can answer it in one word, escapism. And uh, I'll expand on that naturally because I'm me. But, you know, we're talking about why light novels have become so popular at and why isekai have become such a popular faction of light novels, I think it guts down to escapism. And I think the problem with modern light novels, especially isekai, but light novels generally, is they tend to be very surface level. They tend to be very literal. There's not a lot of subtext. There's not a lot of development. There's not a lot of exposition. It's just, they're just, they're, they're basically surface level stories superficial stories that that operate on one level there are exceptions like yahari is a good example of that ray zero would probably be another one but um you know most of them i think the reason why it has become so pervasive and so popular is it's quite literally the most escapist form of light novel entertainment there is this is literally escapism you're going to another world you, you know your world that you live in is not particularly fulfilling to you well, you read about a character whose world is not particularly fulfilling for them, who generally tend to be a younger male, and they go to another world where they can be badass and they have harems and, you know, they can fight demon lords and the women are all decups. And, you know, it's 
this is this to me, I don't think it's brain surgery. That's why I think it's popular is, is escapism. And I think that's perfectly understandable, but it, there's a certain point, you know, it, it, if I can just do a brief divergence, you know, I'm currently rereading Oyasumi Punpun. I don't know if you've read that manga. Uh, I have not. It's, it's, but you know, it's not perfect, although it is a, it is a, absolutely a masterpiece for all its flaws. But what strikes me in reading that manga is it is the opposite of escapism. Whatever word you would come up with for the opposite of escapism, that Oyasumi Punpun would be the opposite. It's immersion is what it is. It, it, it gives you so much real life that it exhausts you. Uh, it, it, there's so much, so much daily pain and, family related and romance related. And while it has a fantasy element, it's very immersive in the pains of daily life. So it's the opposite of escapism. And the problem with escapism is it when it becomes the, the overriding spine of an entire medium, that's a problem. And that is the problem I think with light novels, especially Isekai is that they've become, they've become, defined by escapism, but it's understandable why, because to me, escapism answers your question of why it has become so popular. Right. And I think escapism, some of the best stories will have escapism to some degree, right? Like sure. even look at Harry Potter and stuff like that. I think what what what's interesting about um, Isekai is that it's both an escapist kind of storytelling style but then they also have a power fantasy to it. It takes kind of the wish fulfillment. Yeah, there's a lot of wish fulfillment in def- different routes, right? It, it takes something from video games. You know, you're 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 grabbing a bunch of people together, you're forming a party, and then you're going to fight this big bad. So there's that whole journey aspect. It takes that isekai today, I guess. Take that. They also take you know like the romance where one guy is being fawned over by a bunch of different girls so that's from harem and then it also gives you know the the main protagonist unique abilities and powers and most of the time they're super overpowered as well so there's that power fantasy aspect to it as well and so i think it's a combination of all those things combined with let's be honest the world and and japanese culture specifically they're very overworked over there, they are not able to, because of how their structure is right now, they're not able to set up families until much later in their life. So over there, I think escapism is particularly powerful and why I think it's it's so pervasive over there. Interesting. Um, yeah, I mean, the thing is that in Japanese culture, you can take certain things for granted. There's poverty here, but not like we have poverty in the United States. And it's, you can, it doesn't take a lot to, to, to get yourself a, a subsistence level living here, live you know, your own apartment, even if it's small and, a, you know, some sort of job that it pays you enough to put food on your table and still go out drinking once or twice a week. It, you know, because the Japan has had no inflation for over 20 years, that sort of thing has become there's not the same fears for there's not the same fears for survival that you have in the United States on the fringes of, of, of economic self-sufficiency, 
But at the same time, I think there is a certain emptiness to life here a lot of times because they don't have to worry about surviving, but they don't feel that there's anything that they can aspire to. And because it's so hard to bust out of that, as you described the, 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 the workaday cycle of they do tend to work too hard. And when you get into that salaryman mode, I'm not sure salarymen are the core audience for Isekai. I think students may be the core audience for it, but salarymen certainly are a part of it too. And I'm sure a lot of them feel trapped. And yes, they have they have they they have a life, but they they don't feel as if they can aspire to a better life. And that's I think we all talk about the American dream and there's a lot of definitions of what that is, but that somehow has defined American culture over the over the centuries to an extent, certainly over the decades. And I think it's hard to define right now what the Japanese dream is. Uh, what is the Japanese dream? And I think even if it's more of a nebulous concept, the fact that America has it is something that's worked in its favor. And the fact that Japan, I think, does not really have a concept of the Japanese dream, I think it's it's sort of gotten lost and harder to define with time. The lost decades, if you will, I think that has really fed into the popularity of isekai. Absolutely. Yeah. And I think uh, isekai is 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 so uh, I, I'll kind of follow this up with a even more interesting question. Do you think isekai will continue to dominate or is it just the latest flavor of uh, wish fulfillment and escapism turned up to 11 and it's just we're just waiting for some other more maybe in some ways even worse or it could be better way of providing the same, base needs that I think the audience is looking for. Wow. Well, if you're talking about wish fulfillment, my wish is that it is limited and that this is a phase. Um, As to whether that's actually the case, I have to think that you have to fall back on that whole, the whole saying, all things must pass, you know, and, you know, and I'll, I'll trust George Harrison on this, even though he didn't invent it, he popularized it with his song, all things must pass. And I don't think this is going to dominate the landscape forever because I don't think it's economically sustainable for it to dominate forever. But what has to happen for that to change is for audiences to become more demanding. Uh, Because as long as there's an audience that doesn't demand more, there will always be an industry willing to provide them what they're, what they're not demanding, you know, and that's it. And, if the if the if the if the audience gets more if 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 they get pickier if they get harder to please if they start demanding more from the product then you'll see evolution and change and i do think that as the current economic model that the anime industry as we talked about last week the production committee system when that finally collapses under its own weight and is forced to change, I think that will cause more diversification eventually in the anime side as to what will it we've seen genres come along and dominate anime at least for a while and then move on to something else and move on to something else i don't think we've ever seen something become so pervasive for as long a period as as isekai has now um so it feels like dawn may never come but i do think eventually the cycle will will the wheel will spin and we'll move on to something else, or at least we'll see more balance in the force 
and it won't be so dominated by this one thing. As to how, when that'll happen, I think the impetus of it will be when the unsustainability of the economic side for anime finally becomes too much and it does collapse. And we both agree that'll happen. Probably not as far in the future as some people think it will. So uh, that's to me is going to be the impetus. It's not going to last forever. What it will look like afterwards, whether there will even be a next big genre that comes along to replace it, hell if I know. I, I wouldn't even feel comfortable guessing. Yeah, I think I will make that guess a little bit. I Since I watch more Isekai than I think you do, um, I believe that they're on their way out. So we're at the point, and I think if you've watched other genres and you've seen like Mecha and Moe and all these things kind of have their time in the spotlight and then kind of in the last few days of these things, these trends, these... Uh, kind of like big big pop culture things that come and go. We're in that stage now with Isekai because now they're at the point where most of the the solid ones, the ones that are still popular, are either self-parodies or twists or they're breaking conventions in some kind of clever way. I think if you look at stuff like Slime, the, the Slime series where I got reincarnated as a slime or even something like Shield Hero, they're taking like the concept and twisting it in a in an interesting enough way where they're still relevant uh, and watchable. But I think even that will kind of kind of hit its 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 limit. And I think we're almost there because there's only so many riffs and twists you can do on a concept before you have to jump out of it. So I think there's a finite amount of stories and ideas to any concept. And I think we're largely hitting that 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 point now. And I think at some point, it's not a question of, I'm sure there will be people, because I think we still get cute girls doing cute things shows now, but they've decreased exponentially, I would say, from what it was like five, ten years ago when it was in its, its prime. So I think it's the same thing here. There will always be that cookie-cutter isekai show that some production committee will greenlit because it seems like a safe bet. But I think that will drop down to just one series a season or maybe two series a season. And most of us, uh, like myself and yourself, I think, will just skip it and not even think twice about it. Well, gosh, I sure hope you're right. I sure hope you're right. Um, I will say on the on the CGDCT shows, the cute girls doing cute things, I'm not as convinced as you that that's in decline. Uh, I still think that's the very, very solid 1B on any anime schedule where Isekai LNs are 1A. Uh, those adaptations, I think the Cute Girls shows are definitely still 1B. There's still more of them than any other non-Isekai genre by a wide margin. And so I don't think those have declined as much as as much as as much as you do think they've declined. I think they're still Maybe they've declined, but they're still that's still a very, very solid number two in terms of volume. And uh, so I, I, I do think there have been, as you said, we had a Moe era and we had, I think the Sundere era was definitely very big for a while. And we've seen those things kind of fall back. I don't think we've ever seen anything quite as pervasive as Hisekai and, and indeed Cute Girls Doing Cute Things is now. But eventually, as you say, my, my, my heart tells me you're right 
my head still doesn't quite believe it. And I hope you're right. And I hope you're right that it happens soon. Yeah. And I think the reason it's gone on for so long is because it is a little bit more widespread. Like Sundar is a character type, right? Um, Harem is like a specific type of story. I think Isekai, there's a little bit more room to navigate there, although you wouldn't know it with how similar the stories are. So I think that's also a reason why it's gone on for so long. There is a little bit more to mine in that area than I think. And I think cute girls doing cute things is the same thing. All you need is cute girls doing cute things. And I say cute girls in quotation marks because I I don't find those shows. I mean, I watched Lucky Star back in the day, but I after that, I, and I think K-On, I, I, I managed to get through because everybody I, that I knew at the time was raving about that stuff. But I and 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 you might be right. I may be tuning them out now. But I think the fact that I'm able to tune them out now and they're not, at least with cute girls doing cute things, they're there. But I don't think they dominate the discussion and the fandom as much. I think there's a set number of people that will cons- that consume it and will continue to consume it. But they're not the mainstream as much anymore, I think. And maybe that is just they're not visibly the mainstream. Maybe. Yeah, so I think uh, to kind of wrap this topic up, the last thing I want to do is I actually want to go into our particular piles and I want to each of us to talk about a movie that I, we think is a good isekai series. And I'm going to leave this super vague to give us room to kind of mention stuff that maybe uh, people who watch this kind of series haven't seen, underrated series or you know just things that might not fit the mold exactly. Uh, but uh, let's start with you, Guardian. And so give me a movie that you think is a good isekai. I'll go with uh, Brave Story, uh, which um, it's been a lot of things. It's been a movie. It's been a game. It's been a manga. It's been a novel series, not even light novel, real novels. I think back in the 90s even is when it originally started, a novel series by uh, Miyuki Miyabe. And uh, it is, I think it certainly qualifies as, a, as an isekai by the broad definition and it's 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 quite good. Uh, there's a, there's an alternative world called Vision. A young kid called Wataru, who's I think somewhere in, like late elementary, fifth or sixth grade, and he's uh, and there's a mysterious transfer student, and it, it's it's got high fantasy elements, which I think are really effective. And it really is a high fantasy series that adopts the what we now think of as the isekai structure, if you will. And uh, I I quite like it. I think it's it's smartly written. The characters are quite engaging. Uh, I think the movie is is uh, is is very good. I think the movie did a very nice job. I have not actually played any of the games, so I only have the manga and the movie to go on for my comparison. But I think the movie did quite a good job of of capturing the essence of what made the manga which i assume did a good job of capturing the essence of what made the novel engaging so uh brave story would be my pick yeah and didn't the one uh, the animated film get uh, nominated for animation of the year by the japanese academy awards that year so it's pretty good i i wouldn't i wouldn't be surprised yeah i wouldn't be at all surprised if it did absolutely i don't know for sure but yeah i wouldn't be surprised okay for my end i'm gonna go with uh 
The Boy and the Beast by Mamoru Hosoda, who's done quite a few series. I think Summer Wars is his most famous recognizable one, uh, or The Girl Who Left Through Time. I believe he's done that as well. Mm-hmm. Um, so The Boy and the Beast, I really like it. It's it's very culturally Japanese, and then it's also very culture, very fantasy-based. And it's just something that I think... Mamoru Hosoda, it's not his most popular work, but I found it to be his most endearing and engaging work. And I think one thing with Mamoru Hosoda is that his his stuff tends to have like two sides that don't quite gel well together sometimes. And this is a story that definitely has that in it. The, the fantasy aspects are very separate from the real world stuff that he's covering. But I think it's a good, fun movie and it'll be it'll be something that people will enjoy to watch have you seen the boy and the beast guardian Enzo? Uh, yeah absolutely i'm a big hosoda mamaru fan uh i like the boy and the beast it's i don't think it's his best work but i like it i it's interesting you mentioned summer wars because that actually probably would be my pick along with probably uh ame and yuki those two films would probably be my picks for my favorite hosoda films but you could actually also call Summer Wars an isekai, couldn't you, if you really wanted to? I think that's stretching it a little bit. Well, I think, I think though, you have that virtual world where much of the thing takes place. It runs in sort of in, in parallel to the real world. So I, I'm not, I don't know if it's as big of a stretch. It, 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 it's, it, to me, it's a more interesting film than Boy and the Beast, but I do like Boy and the Beast, and I do agree with you that in, in the definition of, of isekai, it definitely fits. And I do, I understand what you're saying about that dichotomy of the two sides that don't always mesh together. And I do think it is quite, it, it, it more literally sort of meshes with the, the structure of the story itself with The Boy and the Beast than it does in some of his other films. And I think one of the reasons might be that that was the first film where Hosoda had already had split up with the woman who was his, uh, his, script, his uh, screenwriter for all of his films before that. And I think there were... Well, if it seemed a little discordant, that might be the reason is that was the first film he did without working with her. I also want to point out with Hosoda, for those fans who may not know, the listeners who may not know, he was all he got his start working on the Digimon series. That was really his. That was his training ground. And back when Digimon was really great, the reason why it was really great is because Hosoda Mamoru was was directing those shows. So there you go. Now that I think about it, Digimon by by that same line of thinking yep. could be an isekai. Absolutely, it? it certainly could. Oh no! Oh no! Everything's an isekai. Everything's an isekai. We just don't know it. Mm-hmm. Everything's an isekai. <laughs> yep. We're in an isekai right now, aren't we? Oh, uh, you know what? Also, decadence on the current anime schedule could be considered an isekai if you want to stretch it. Okay, we'll 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 kind of s- stop there before we end up being absorbed into the black hole that is isekai so give me an anime series that you think is a good example as well i'm gonna go with magical shopping arcade obenobashi uh which is an old uh gainax series from the 2000s and um i it's it's an isekai again you have to go with the broader definition but i if you want to give me one i really like i have to go with the broader definition and i it's a classic Old school Gainax, really, it's in their is in their loony madcap zany mold. Really, really interesting visually. Very much screwball comedy. Kind of got some a lot of etchy to it. It basically works as an isekai that tr- that 
parodies various anime genres and tropes. And it kind of jumps from one from week to week. It goes from one set of one, one cliche to the next and the lead, the two main characters go through these worlds and they live through these alternative, uh, these alternative realities that are send ups of all the various uh, anime genres and anime tropes, including ones that were made popular with, with Gynax themselves. And it, it, there's definitely a lot of Gynax self parody in this series. Uh, it's definitely a trippy series, really fun. And, you know, if you're an insider to Gynax and anime and really get a lot of the cultural references that they throw, it's, it's pretty hilarious. And it also a good story with the, the main characters, the boy and the girl to me are quite likable. So I'm going to go with Magical Shopping Arcade Abinobashi. Nice, nice. And I'll close it off with uh, Grebagar, Fantasy and Ash. So uh, I think we both know that Sword Art Online is a popular isekai uh, franchise and series. Um, that, I personally don't like Sword Art Online as much as I used to. I liked the first season for the first half of it. And then I just stayed on. But I think what what has been more interesting has has been the the copycats that came out of it. The the things that I think in some ways did a better job of the whole concept than Sword Art Online did as well. And Grimgar Fantasy and Ash is a it's based off I think a, a a light novel that's actually not that good. I think the anime is the better version because they added a lot more to the adaptation there. But uh, this is a good series. I like how realistic it is. It do, It's not a power fantasy, which is, I think, one of the reasons why I enjoy it so much. It really is real people be, being thrown into uh, a fantasy world and struggling to survive. And it's a really slow and quick and, and kind of like, at times, very dark series that deals with kind of the trauma of having to suddenly try and kill goblins or whatever, and uh, how to motivate a bunch of kids to basically band together and, and survive. And so it's, it's a nice twist. And I think I would have loved to see another season of Grimgar, but I, I think it just, it didn't do that well. And it was, it was coming out at a time that I think there's a lot of other stuff, similar stuff. So Grimgar Fantasy and Ash, did you watch that one? I got through about half of the, half of the, was there only one season? Uh, yeah, I watched several episodes and, you know, given that I'm not normally a fan of the genre, I thought it was definitely better than average. It managed to keep me interested enough to watch for several episodes. At some point I kind of felt like it was starting to loop and, and I sort of drifted away, but I, no, I agree with you. It, it, it was, it was enough of an interesting take and it was intelligent enough to me that it stood out as being something certainly better than the typical for, for, for that subset. Yeah. And I think it's just, uh, that's kind of what these recommendations were. They were trying to go off the typical path. So, I mean, if you like Isekai, try those four series, we, uh, two movies and two series, and we'll, we'll list all these in the description, uh, as well. So we'll, we'll provide links and stuff like that. So you can go track these down and watch all the things we talked about. If I may, let me just let me just throw out really quickly what it just kind of hit me that we should mention it because I think it was very very influential in the direction that this that this genre would go is the hack. Uh the hack franchise uh which started out the first anime I think was Hack Sign if I'm not mistaken. But I think those were very influential and there were a lot of copycats to the hack 
uh, to the hack franchise that have that have gone out that have sort of spawned in isekai over the years since that began. Yes, that started as a video game series, actually. It did. Yeah, it did for sure. I never watched the anime. I may, might maybe go back and do that at some point. I tried playing the game, and this was a case where it, in in those days, Japanese localization of video games was notoriously terrible. So the voice acting, there was no option to, I think, maybe there was. I, I don't even remember. But this is this is my hazy memory from like 10 years ago now. Yeah. But uh, the the localization wasn't great. The, the games had a lot of text in them that was just not very easy to read. There's like mistakes and stuff like that. So it was, it was definitely translated on a very shoestring budget. And because I wanted to actually go through the games and play those, I think playing through the first game, I got like, I, I think like six, seven hours in. And I was just like, there was so much, even in the video game space, there were so many other good RPGs at the time that I fell off of it. But um, do you think it's worth going back and watching those series? Well, I liked Hacksaw, and that came out way back in 2002. Uh, and I don't think it's a masterpiece, but I, I think it would be an interesting series for people to watch. And they would, it's one of those series, like watching Durarara now, the original series, you realize how many copycats it spawned. And I think watching Hack Sign now, you would realize how many copycats it spawned. So I think that would be the most interesting element of watching it is realizing, oh, they did this in 2002. Uh, and yes, they were the first to do a lot of that stuff in anime form, actually. That was the first series that really did. Yeah, I think if you liked uh, Sword Art Online or Excel World or any of those things, uh, Hack Sign is, a, is definitely a good one to check out. For sure. All right. And with that... We will end the anime discussion for today. Let us know what you think um, of these discussions. Uh, we're curious. Do you want them to go longer? Should they be shorter? Uh, that's definitely something that Guardian Enzo and I have been curious about as we continue to tweak and twiddle with the show. We're tweakers. Yep. With that, we'll move on to our final section of the week. And so... Our journey takes us to the final segment of the week. This is listener questions. And I have to say, before we even get into any listener questions, Guardian Enzo, I have been very, very heartwarmed and happy with the fact that people continue to write into us. We're only three episodes in. And to all of you, wherever you comment, a personal thank you from me. Um, and I think, Guardian Enzo, you're also very grateful for people engaging with us. Uh, no, they owe us that much. No, I'm just kidding. Yeah, of course I am. And yes, by all means, I also just want to remind people that um, if you've already had a question submitted that we talked about, feel free to submit another one for another show, because if we find it interesting enough, we'll definitely, we're not, we're not, this isn't a one and done kind of a thing. We're happy to take interesting questions. So resubmit new ones. Absolutely. Yes. All right. So let's get into it. The first question comes from Nix from Lost in America. And he asked, did you see the Yuzuru Tachikawa's AMA session on Reddit? What are your impressions? So Guardian Enzo, I'll turn this one over straight to you because you said you actually read this AMA. What is this about and what are your thoughts? And then I'll give mine. Okay. Well, for those who don't know, Tachikawa Yuzuru is the director of Decadence and Death Parade and the two Mob Psycho 100 series. In my view, the most interesting and talented under 40 director working in TV anime right now. 
uh, really a fabulously talented guy. And he did an AMA on Reddit. And uh, my one takeaway from it is uh, he's quite fluent in English. He's quite good in English. And you can tell that this is not the work of a translator when you read through it, that you can tell that this is like, I, I'm pretty sure this is him answering the questions in English. Uh, the Most of the topic of the AMA was decadence, his current series, which is understandable. I have to say I'm not a fan of decadence, unfortunately. I, I kind of get what he's trying to do with it, he and his writing partner, but it it's not really clicking for me. Uh, but that aside, he gives some interesting interesting background on his on his creative process, on how he likes to uh, you know work with his team. And he's very much a proponent of the idea that directing an anime is 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 a team is a team process more than an individual process, and that is his his most important role, really is in coordinating his team and getting them all on the same page. Uh, he's a very interesting, very humble, very smart guy. I've loved everything he's done until Decadence, and I have full confidence that I'll love the stuff he does in the future. From Decadence, if you're interested in that series, the most interesting aspect of that that came out in the conversation, and he was very careful saying, oh, I'm not going to answer that because it's spoilers, but he did say that he really set the concept of the series up as, in his mind, the model for it was, a Western corporation, more or less taking over the world. And he did say specifically, I, I wanted to do it as a Western corporation rather than a Japanese corporation. Um, so it is about corporate greed. He makes it specifically about Jap uh, Western corporate greed, which is kind of interesting because Japanese corporations are exceedingly greedy and you could do whole volumes of stories about how much damage they've done to Japanese society through their greed. But maybe that's something that's easier to take on if you frame it in the concept of a Western corporation than, than a Japanese corporation in anime form. So yes, uh, and it's an interesting read. If you're a fan of Death Parade or Mob Psycho, definitely check it out. He, it's interesting to hear what he has to say. Again, uh, I getting the strong sense that he's answering these questions in English himself. And um, he's quite fluent and he understands. He's an interesting guy with a lot of interesting ideas about how anime is made. There's also some talk about COVID and how he's adapted to making anime in the post-COVID world. So it's an interesting read. Interesting. Yeah, I'm a huge fan of his as well for a lot of the series you mentioned. And I've been lukewarm on Decadence as well. Although some people have been telling me that it's getting better and more exciting. So uh, I'll, I'll, I'll give it a second look. I've only watched the first two episodes. No, first three episodes. So I haven't gone past episode three, but uh, yeah, it's compared to some of his other stuff. It's not amazing, but I also think people should be allowed to stretch their creative wings and try Absolutely. out. Absolutely. Absolutely. And if, if that, if he just needed to get decadence out of his system so he can go make another death parade, that's totally fine with me. <laughs> and, and I also like what you, two things you mentioned. I really like liked about this this whole ama one that you felt that he was answering the questions himself whether he was or not i don't think we can know 110 percent. but the fact that you feel he was is really important that means that at least this man knows how to engage with fans and i think this is something that trigger does really well um and some of the other studios that are very popular in uh the west do really well 
And it's good to see somebody of this caliber and this talent also be good at the PR side of it. So I think that that bodes well. And the other thing I wanted to say is it's very interesting. I'm always fascinated by the Japanese view of Western culture. Like, what's it like analyzing and deconstructing a culture when you're not part of that culture almost? So it's like they consume their their image of what Western culture is, is only through media, right? Media consumption and stuff like that. They're not in that culture. They're not living it. So I think for that reason, I'm actually more interested in seeing what decadence is because he said that. And to his credit and the AMA's credit, that's a job well done in that respect. There you go. Okay. So thank you, Nix. That was a fantastic question. We'll go over to Num Num again from YouTube. Um, and he provides us another interesting question this week. Uh, his, he says, my question is original anime ones without source material can be amazing like code Geass or terrible, like the second half of guilty crown. So that leads me to ask what makes a good original anime? Is it the director, the storyboard artist, etc.? And before we answer this question, I will say, I think I don't want to focus too much on whether Code Geass or Guilty Crown is good. I think we both have very interesting opinions on that, but we'll discover discuss those at length. But to answer his core question, Guardian Enzo, what makes a good original anime? What part of it does? Is it the director, the storyboard artist, the writer? What What do you think makes a good original anime? Well, now that is an interesting question, isn't it? And um one of the sayings that one of the truisms, if you will, that I've always held to with anime is that's well, first, the first part is that staff is really important. Uh, and I don't think people look at staff on the staff list on anime enough when deciding, will this be good? Will this not be good? The staff is really important. That's the first thing. The second thing I will say is that um, with adapted anime, the most important person on the staff list is the director. So when you see Mob Psycho 100 getting an adaptation, that to me, the most important thing you want to look at, oh, who's directing that? Oh my gosh, Tachikawa Yuzuru, that's fantastic. With original anime, uh, the most important person on the staff list is the writer. That's just something that I believe with, just totally believe it. And so with, with uh, you know, with, Death Parade, Tachikawa was also the writer. Uh, so um, that was like, okay, this was clearly a story. Wow, this is something he's really passionate about. With Decadence, the writer is uh, is not Tachikawa Yuzuru. And so I think that has made a difference. And I think, you know, the, specifically with Decadence, you've got a writer who has not done any work with an, with original anime before. He's done, he's done adaptations. And so you don't really have any basis to go on and say, oh, that's interesting. You know, who, you know, so um, you, there's no track record. You can't say, oh, this, this guy, Seiko Hiroshi, he's going to be great. Well, maybe he'll be great. But there's not much on original anime to go on with him. He's he's adapted stuff before, like Mob Psycho. But with Mob Psycho, he was working with a with a very well established and well defined source material. With Decadence, he has to come up with everything on his own, which is why, you, you know, which is why the writer is the most important person 
on an original anime. So when like when you come up with something like 91 Days um, and you see the director or the writer is uh, Kishimoto Taku, you can say, oh, wow, I'm up. Be- I'm up for this because this is a guy who has a really good track record with uh, as a writer. So that to me is the most important element in an original anime because there's no crutch. You use no source material to guide you. There's no guardrails. The director is always important, but with original anime, I think the writer is the most important person. Yes, I agree with you 110%. Uh, for anime original series, I think it's it's a sliding scale for sure. That it's it's the the writer is at the top, I think, but then the director I think is number two because he has to execute on that vision. And I think one thing that you mentioned, which I think is really important is the idea of how different it is to create an original work and to adapt something. You can be very skilled at adapting, and that's a skill in itself, like taking somebody else's vision and translating it to a different medium. It takes a lot of skill as well. But that's a different skill set entirely from making something new on its own. And I think... To reference something out of uh, anime and manga, let's look at Game of Thrones, for example. Game of Thrones was fantastic, and D.B. Weiss and uh, I forget the other guy's name. Uh, yeah, I've forgotten it too, now that you mentioned it, but yeah. Those two did a phenomenal job in the first few seasons, I think, and they even injected some of their own stuff in there. But when that source material was gone, they fumbled pretty badly. And I think that's also something to wor- worth noting is that some people are just suited to adapt other people's stories and that's their skill set. And I think uh, to your point of we should be looking more at anime staff, I'm, I need to do a better job of that as well. And I think we need to look at if it's an adaptation, maybe we need to look at people who are skilled at adaptations and say, okay, I should be excited about this because this director and this scenario writer is handling the adaptation or if it's an original work then obviously you you look at the track record of the people involved is i think what will determine whether something is good or not yeah and it's david benioff is by the way david benioff and dan weiss those were the two guys who directed and game of thrones is a great example because it was really great tv when they were adapting even if it did make some changes it was it was it was mostly to to make the source material a better fit for for tv once they got off off of George Martin's script, uh, then yeah, it, it it was like a butterfly effect where every change would have profound effects, and over over as it got farther and farther away from the protective arms of of the source material, it got more and more ludicrous. I want if if I could just show you, I think is a great a great quote from Charles Dance, who uh, played uh, Tywin Lannister in the series. A great, great, great actor, Charles Dance, and and a great character. The the TV's best magnificent bastard, in my opinion. But someone asked him recently what he thought of the last season. And his answer, and I'm just quoting here, I mean, I saw it. I continue to watch the whole series because I just thought it's a fantastic television show, you know. I was very lucky to be a part of it. I loved it. There were storylines where I wanted to know what was going to happen to these people. I know the finale satisfied a lot of people. It also disappointed a lot of people. And I'm afraid I'm in the latter camp. And you see this from a lot of the actors who were involved, who were trying so hard to be diplomatic when they talk about the final couple of seasons, but they let their feelings 
come through. And, um, you know, those are the people who are really have, they have the most buy-in here. They have the most right to be disappointed because this show was a big part of their, of their lives for so long. Yes, I agree. And maybe someday we'll do an off-kilter, one-off episode about Game of Thrones and Ooh. potentially maybe even, it would be interesting to see an anime adaptation of that someday. Although, yeah, we'll, we'll keep the Game of Thrones discussion going. Um, all right. The final final question slash comment uh, from Steve over at Lost in America. He asks, are you going to list this at Apple Podcasts or somewhere Overcast can find it? So I'll answer this question primarily and Guardians, if you have any other thoughts, you can chime in. But Overcast is already – so Anchor FM, Overcast already grabs uh, – it from there i've actually gone into the analytics and seen that some people are actually listening to it on overcast so if you're listening to it on overcast you should be good as for apple podcasts that's a mission process i just have to i've been super bad about that but i'm in the process of getting it approved there hopefully spotify at some point i know spotify is super difficult but if we don't get in i know apple podcasts will will definitely do in the next week or two but for some of the other streaming, uh, for some of the other podcast audio services, it might take us uh, a couple of episodes once we have like ten or so and uh, stuff like that to be able to uh, spread it out more widely. And if you want this on your particular podcast service, do us a favor: share this, review it, w- watch it, share it with your friends. The more viewership numbers we have, the more easier it is to push this to other places so uh if you like this and if you want it on more places evangelize it for us uh that is how you will get it guardian enzo any thoughts what he said perfect (laughs) if only that was the rest of my life where i just said something and everybody agreed with me (laughs) you could pay somebody to just walk around with you and do that yes but i want it to be real guardian enzo i want something real good luck with um For Yahari fans, that was definitely a reference to some of the latest episodes. Anyway, um, so that, I think, will do it for this week. We are at an end um, once again. Uh, Well, obviously, uh, I'll plug it once again. Notaku YouTube channel. Subscribe to that. If If you subscribe to that, we might have some more content in the future. I know Guardian Enzo and I are always racking our brains for what we can do to give people more stuff, uh, give us some feedback, uh, leave comments, submit questions via Guardian Angels Patreon, via Lost in America, uh, lostinanime.com, sorry. And then also uh, on Twitter, you can at Setsuken or at Guardian Enzo. Um, and obviously go visit anime-evo.net and lostinanime.com uh, and let us know what you guys think. Uh, Guardian Enzo, any closing thoughts before we head out? Nope, just as always, uh, thank you to everybody for listening, and thank you especially for submitting your questions and comments. Please please feel free to keep those coming, and uh, we're always uh, looking forward to uh, being back with you next week. Yes, sir. And if we hit a certain number of views and comments, I will stop saying uh and um a lot. (laughs) People have told me that I'm doing that. I apologize. I'll get better at it. But you can you can get me to do that by uh, sharing and subscribing. And see, it's directly it's a direct correlation. the The number of views we get is the number of 
the the decreasing number of ums we'll have. So. And I will say one less you know for every uh, for every for every subscriber. There you go, guys. Thanks again, and we'll see you next time. Bye bye.